cool. Um, so yeah, thank you, Owen. Um, I want to start off by saying thank you all for coming out tonight. Um, I mean, I know that we've been packed uh, since we started this year, but to be on the other end of that is uh, really welcoming, I think says a lot about this group as a whole. Um, so just thank you all for coming out. Um, so yeah, without further ado, my name is Bennett, um, or Ben. I'm the men's Bible study leader. Um, I'm a senior, I'm an econ major, and um, for those of y'all that don't know me, I am not an athlete, even though I'm an FCA, but despite that fact, I thought it would be a good idea to start the talk tonight with a story from when I was an athlete, which is in, I was a runner in high school, I did track and cross country. Um, so this story takes place my last race of senior year at the state meet. I was an 800 runner, which if you don't know is a half mile, half a mile, two laps around the track. And this is the last 800 I was ever gonna run competitively in my career. Um, so coming into this meet, the way the meet works is there were two days. The four by 800 and the 3200 were run on Friday night and everything else was the next day. So I had run the previous night in the four by 800 with my team and we came off a great race and I had uh, I'd made a PR. So I, needless to say, going into the second day, I was really cocky. Um, I was seated second overall, so I was predicted to get second place. I thought I just shut the microphone off. Can you still hear me? Okay. <laughs> I thought I, I was predicted to get second place, um, and with my time from the night before, I was predicted to get first. So going into this race, um, like I said, I was extremely arrogant. I relied on my own strength. I don't think I prayed or thought about the Lord at all going into it, just what I could accomplish for myself and my school. And the way the South Carolina meets work is you have in state four runners from the upper state region, four runners from the lower state, and they come together and all eight runners compete for that final title. And based on the times that we looked at on some stupid thing online, me and my infinite wisdom determined that those four upper state runners weren't going to be a threat. We thought it was going to go lower state runners one through four. And I thought I was going to get a medal. If you can tell from the words thought and like my tone in this, that's not how it ended up. Uh, I ended up getting worked in that race completely. Um, I have a vivid memory of coming around the corner on the last turn, which for those of you that don't know, you're running as fast as you can at that point, is a full sprint. And there's an upper state runner, the one that I rode off in front of me, and he points to his, while he's in front of me, to his family or his teammates or his friends or whatever. I don't know, but he points in front of me while we're sprinting. And if y'all don't understand the significance of that, essentially he was cooking me with one hand tied behind his back around this curve. He was completely dusting me, and then to make matters worse, uh, another guy passed me on the straightaway, and I got fifth. And I totally let myself down. I responded thinking I was like, it was a fluke I had gotten to this point. I wasn't actually a good runner. I let my friends down. I let my family down. I let my team down. Um, so essentially was cocky and then wallowed in my own sadness. Um, and the reason I tell you this story, because right now y'all are thinking probably that I'm a total jerk, is that everything I'm about to describe tonight is the polar opposite from the qualities that I exhibited in that race. So I'm going to try to come back to it a couple times while I'm speaking, but just kind of keep this image of me just as a not very nice person in this race in your head, because I promise it will make sense. Um, so when thinking about what I wanted to talk about tonight, um, I tried to think of how I could be effective as a speaker to y'all. A pleasure that we get in FCA is we have people who are a lot farther along in life than we are, um, 
who have experienced what we've experienced and come out on the other end, and they can come and tell us about those experiences. But me, as a college student, living alongside y'all, I don't have that privilege. So I wanted to come and explain struggles that I've had while in college, um, things that the Lord has taught me, because I am a senior, so I'm you know, almost there, as scary as that is. Um, and just, more than anything, ways to find peace in college, especially at a place like Furman, where academics can be really difficult. It's so easy to get caught up in peace can just seem fleeting. Um, so if I had to have a summary of what this talk was going to be about, it would be finding peace through love and lack of judgment is what it's going to kind of be about. So um, to start, um, if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 7, and you can put that up on the screen. Cool. Okay, I'm going to put this down while I open my Bible. Um, so Matthew 7. You can read along with me if you don't have it, not a big deal. Um, I won't judge you, foreshadowing. Um, but so Matthew 7, 1 through 5 reads, Do not judge so that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you make, you will be judged. And the measure you give will be the measure you get. Why do you, not see the Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not see the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor, let me take the speck out of your eye while the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. So this is a pretty common passage. Um, for those of you that are involved in your faith, I'm sure you've heard it before, but it holds a lot of weight and a lot of importance. It talks about judgment. It's not the type of judgment necessarily of God um, judging us as Christians, but rather the way that we judge others. And I want to tell you tonight that judgment of others in this way that it is described is detrimental both to our relationship with Christ and the relationship or and the possible relationship that other people can have with Christ. By judging others, I can mean like a whole bunch of things. It can be I don't want to work on this group project with this person because I don't think they're as smart as me. I don't want this person as my teammate because I don't think they work as hard. It can be, I don't want to go hang out with this person because they're not a Christian and they might taint my image. And what will other people think of me if they see me having a meal with them? I, I want this person to go to church, but not with me because what will other people think? I'm better than this person because I read my Bible three times a day and they only read it once, right? Like... Essentially, it is putting other people down and building yourself up. And when you use religion and Christianity as an excuse to do that, it can be so harming, both to yourself because you're using your relationship with Christ in a way that he would never act. Christ acts with love, with humility, with forgiveness, and you're acting with arrogance. Not y'all, I'm not trying to fire y'all right now, but um, we're not living in the way that Christ intended to live if we're doing that. And it also just pushes people away from the gospel. We as Christians are put on this planet to expand the kingdom of God. And by judging people and putting them down for not believing what we believe or maybe doing something that we disagree with, we are pushing them away from the gospel. So while judgment is detrimental, there is a danger of talking about it. And I want to talk to you about the difference between judgment and accountability because the enemy likes to make those things kind of seem like the same. He likes to make you think, well, you can't hold your friend accountable because what if it's judgment? Or you can do something that's considered judgment because you'll pass it off as being 
is holding someone accountable. These things, he creates a false equivalency between these things. These things are mutually exclusive. And if you leave here thinking that you can't hold people accountable, then I will have done more damage than good. So I want to explain to you all the difference between these two things. Essentially, if you're trying to decide, say someone does something that you disagree with, or you have a friend that has done an action that you disagree with, look at your heart. Are you trying to talk to them with anger, with malice, with malicious intent, because you're afraid of how you might look? Or are you wanting to approach them because you're worried about them? You care about them and you feel love for them, and you're worried what might happen if they continue this action. If it's the latter, then it's probably judgment. If it's the former, it's accountability. And it seems easier said than done, but just taking a minute to, if you do have anger, first off, letting it cool. You never want to approach someone in fury because that's when you act irrational. But praying to God and trying to see where these emotions are coming from, some, something that someone said to me once is, if God is speaking to you, it won't be with negativity. If, there, if you, you're having thoughts, you're trying to decide whether it's God or not, if it's a negative thought, that's not God. We have a loving and graceful God. But just take a minute and calm down. Take a minute to breathe and see where your emotions lie surrounding this person. So when you have a lack of judgment, you're able to love others fully. If you're arrogant and you judge others and put them down, that's when detriments can start to occur. But there's a reason why judgment, even simple judgment, is such a dangerous thing um, and such a common thing. And it's because it's so easy for us to have a lack of love for ourselves. So my second point that I want to talk about is in order to love others fully in a way that will glorify Christ, and in order to not judge others in what they do, you need to have a love for yourself. It's integral. So I'll move on to the next verse, the Proverbs. Um, Proverbs 19.8 reads, To get wisdom is to love oneself. To keep understanding is to prosper. To get wisdom is to love oneself. To keep understanding is to prosper. If I could make one, one point that I would hope you all would leave here with, as college students, you know, talking to the audience, you loving yourself is absolutely integral to a fruitful relationship with Christ. Right, Christ can make a house in a broken home, but he can't, he can't fix that home by himself. He loves you more than anything else in the world. But if you don't love yourself, change won't occur. I'm speaking from personal experience. It's so easy to get caught up to judge yourself in college in a place where so-and-so got a better grade than me, so I must be an idiot. So-and-so placed better than me in the 800s. I must be a failure to my team and to my friends and to my family. Right, The way I responded to that guy dusting me was not in a way of self-love. I responded in a way tearing myself down. Once again, going back to God, talking about he doesn't put negative thoughts in your head. That's the enemy. God is never going to say you're not good enough because you didn't accomplish something. It sure as heck won't be because of some chemistry test or something. So you need to love yourself. And once again, that's easier said than done in a place like college where you're figuring out your life. We live in a time where mental health, is for, 
for college students is at an all-time low. So how do we do this? And the answer, which I'll probably sound like a broken record because I'm sure you've heard it a million times, is to have a fruitful and intentional relationship with Christ. We, God is, he's, he's a creator, right? He's an artist, he's an architect, he's an engineer. He is not some giant child in the sky playing in a sandbox and seeing what cool stuff he can make. He had an intentional purpose for making each and every one of you here. And part of our design is to experience life with Christ. If, if we are not experiencing life with him, there is a hole in our heart, a part of us that are missing you know, part of our operation that does not work if we're not experiencing it with him. Imagine that you go to a movie, right? I don't know, the next whatever Marvel movie comes out. I don't know which one we're on. Uh, whatever Marvel movie comes out, you go to see it. Um, and the sound in the theater doesn't work. And you leave the theater just very confused. You're like, yeah, I mean, the visuals were cool, but I had no idea what the plot was, and it's kind of disappointing. The creators of this movie did not intend for you to watch this movie without sound, right? And because of that, it hindered your experience with that film. The same way that God did not intend for us to experience and walk through life without him and without relationship with Christ. It's hardwired into our code. Like This is something that we are created for. And without it, we can't fully love ourselves if we're not whole, and we're not whole if we do not have Christ. Further, I want to get into the idea of like breaking yourself down and insulting yourself. Something that I feel like goes past people's heads really often is the idea of y'all as a creation of God, right? Like, yeah, God created me, but like, no, like, like take a look outside, walk at Furman at golden hour, and everybody posts about it anyways, you can step outside, but take a walk in Furman at golden hour, go like look at some pretty sunrise at Bald Rock, Look at the, I don't know, the Hubble telescope has been taking insane pictures. Go Google that later and thank me. Um, but seriously, like the creator of the cosmos, the person who knit together the stars and wrote, made the mountains rise and seas fill, created you. And not only did he create you, you are his greatest creation. Like let that sink in. Like you are his greatest creation, the person who made, you know, rainbows and sunsets and these giant peaks and... I know, cool animals like the platypus. That thing's crazy. Um, <laughs> like, he made, like, he made you, and you're his greatest creation. He made you in his own image. And we have the audacity to think that we're not good enough because, well, I don't know, we got a 70 on a chemistry test. Or, I've gotten 70 on plenty of my tests. It's not, it's not that big of a deal. I'm probably fine. Um, <laughs> but seriously, we have the audacity to think that about ourselves. When we are God's greatest creation. Imagine, say, my buddy Andrew Pridgen, the guy who's singing right here. Imagine if I went up to God, and this is more the judgment of others. Imagine if I went up to God. It's like, man, God, I, I don't know what you were thinking about that Andrew guy. Like, he's an Atlanta Falcons fan. What were you doing, dude? Um, it, it's a, I can say that because I'm a Jaguars fan, so it's fine. Um, yeah, okay, buddy. Um, no, but seriously, like, do we have the gall to, do, to go up to God and say, hey, like, this creation of yours, that wasn't it. Me, I'm, I don't know what you were thinking. I think you messed up with me. The answer is obviously no. We would never say that to God. 
but we do it every time we judge others or judge ourselves, right? We bring ourselves down, bring others down as worse than others or others are worse than us as insulting the creation of God. I just want to hammer that point home because it is just so easy to forget that he knit you in your mother's womb with a specific purpose and he knows the hairs on your head, the creators of the cosmos. I think that's crazy. Um, So with that, if you have a relationship with Christ that is intentional, you can fully love yourself. And when you fully love yourself, you can fully love others. I'm an econ major, so I'm an analytical person. So this, yeah, step by step, whatever. Um, so what does that mean? I talked about finding peace at the beginning. I'm trying to make sure I'm not running long. I talked about finding peace at the beginning. How do you find peace outside of the obvious fact that you have a relationship with Christ? Obviously being loved by the creator of the world brings peace, I'm pretty sure. But um, that was a joke. I'm definitely sure. <laughs> um, but how can you find peace outside of that? When, when we have an intentional relationship with Christ and we can fully love ourselves, which allows us to fully love others and treat them as Christ would, we can then fully meet our potential of what God put us on this earth to do. Everybody has a different purpose in some aspects. Um, you know, my buddy Callum, he's at a soccer game right now. I hope we won. I have no idea. Uh, he wants to be a doctor. He, he's got a gift of helping people, right? You know, Andrew's got a gift of singing. He reaches people through his worship. And he's going to be in the army. He'll save us all. Um, but everybody has their own specific purposes. But we also have a joint purpose that God has set out for us to do. And that is, like I said earlier, expand the kingdom of God. Through this, we can bring peace to others. And by realizing our purpose and fulfilling, like I said again, I'm the code that like God worked into ourselves, by fulfilling this potential, we find peace ourselves. My, my youth pastor used a scene from a movie um, kind of around this point um, that I think highlights what we can do as Christians to others very well. And my mom's going to roll her eyes in the back when I say this. Um, it's from The Return of the King, which is the third movie in the Lord of the Rings installment, which if you're a friend of me, you're probably sick and tired of hearing about Lord of the Rings. I can see Morgan smiling about it. <laughs> um, but there's this scene in this movie, right? There are these two, two characters, Pippin, who is a hobbit. He's like four feet tall. He's a halfling and has little to no self-defense capabilities whatsoever. I mean, people mistake him for a child usually. And you have Gandalf, who is a wizard and like an angel and a mortal and is cracked out of his mind. He's awesome. Um, <laughs> but you have these two characters, right? Um, and they are hunkered behind this building, this wall, in this great city called Gondor, a city of men called Gondor. And there's these creatures trying to break into a gate that's a couple, couple meters away. There's orcs and goblins and trolls and wraiths, all these like dark, terrible creatures trying to break in. And you see these two characters who couldn't be further apart, hunkered behind this wall, and Pippin, who's practically a child, has terror in his face. I mean, he's horrified. And he looks at Gandalf and he says, I didn't think it would end this way. And Gandalf, being like immortal, it looks confused at him. He says, end, no, the journey doesn't end here. 
death is just another path in life and one that we all must take. He says, when the gray rain curtain of this world rolls back and all turns to silver glass, then you see it. You see his curiosity on his face and he says, see what? And Gandalf says, white shores and a far green meadow into a swift sunrise. And you see this terror on Pippin's face just fade, gone in the wind. He says, well, that doesn't sound so bad. And Gandalf like, like lets out a sigh of relief and he says, no, no, it doesn't. The reason I bring this up is not because I just wanted to work in one of my favorite movies to this talk. It has a purpose, I promise. Um, this is really analogous of the way that I think we can impact people's lives as Christians when we have that relation, that fully realized relationship with Christ. Gondor sort of represents, in my opinion, and this analogy that I'm making up, um, like the world that we live in today. The world is great in a lot of ways. It's God's creation, but... Like, the enemy is here, and there's a lot of evil in the world. There's war, pain, and strife. There's a lot of pain in the world, man. And there are so many people who go through that without the helping hand of Christ. There are so many people who do not have the love of Christ to guide them through this, and they are hurting, right? They are hurting, and they've never known the love of Christ. And they're facing this battle, like Pippin, who is no defense because he's four feet tall, um, without a religion, without Christ. And we have the opportunity to come in and bring them peace. Not because, hey, you know, if you listen to what I say, you'll have eternal life. No, like we have the ability to come to them and say, hey, I need to tell you about this because I'm so excited about it. I have the love of Christ and it's just too much for me to contain by myself. I want to share this with you because I've never been the same. I've never been the same since I found Christ and experienced his fully realized love. And he saved me, and I want him to help you too, right? If you can bring this peace to others, you can find peace yourself by realizing your purpose, just like I said earlier. So I hope that makes sense, that analogy. If not, then you should go watch the movie. I don't know. Um, but seriously, we can... We have such such a blessing to be able to experience Christ's love. And if we're not doing something with that, it's like we're spitting, spitting in his face with this gift he's given us, right? Keeping it to ourselves, selfishness. That's not, that's not an aspect of Christ. So that was loud. So um, where do I go from here, right? I've told you a whole bunch of information. I've told you to find peace. You need to help bring peace to others. You can only do that when you fully love yourself, so then you can fully love others. And all that's nice and good, um, but how do you apply that, right? You can leave here with all this information, but how do you apply it? That is, how can you help bring other people to Christ? And I wish the answer were a simple one or an easy one, um, but it's, it's not. Um, but... I, decide, I put together a couple points. Like I said, I'm an organized person, so if you're taking notes, this will be a time to jot them down. Um, I put together a couple points I think would be beneficial. I don't think it's a perfect answer, but it's my answer, to ways that we can help expand God's kingdom in specifically a college setting. Usually in this type of setting, you know, it's only a couple people or, or one person that you're trying to approach. And this is 
this is what, how I think or how God has helped me realize how you can be effective. So this is what I'll finish with, by the way. I'm almost done. Thanks for listening. Um, so number one is arm yourself. Right? I think it's, it's either Ephesians or Hebrews um, where we talk about the armor of God. And the word is described as the sword, right? Uh, my buddy Jonah, who I'm going to be honest, I'm blind, so I have no idea where you are. Um, but my buddy Jonah, my roommate, uh, told me something freshman year that he hears me talk about all the time because it's hit me so hard. Um, he, t- he said to me, life is like spiritual warfare. Like, not like. Life is spiritual warfare. We go into spiritual warfare every day. And going into every day without praying to God, without reading the Bible and taking up your sword is like going into warfare, going into war without your sword. You just don't do it. So by arming yourself, and that is, I know I sound like a broken record, having an intentional relationship with God, talking to Him, picking up your sword, reading from it, you'll be able to put up this barrier against the enemy, which will then, you know, it all ties together. That's when you fully love yourself, when the enemy is kept out. He's a deceiver. He's really good at what he does. But with the protection of Christ, and a con- it's not a one-time thing, with a constant and intentional connection with Christ, you'll be able to arm yourself. Only then will you be able to then approach others to help them gain that armor. So that's point number one, arm yourself. Point number two is be aware of who you're talking to. Everybody's different. Like I said, it's not a perfect answer. It would be so awesome if Jesus could come down and, hey, hey Bennett, here's a five-step list. Um, you do this with anyone and they'll be a Christian. Simple as that. That'd be great, but that's just not the case. Like I said, we were all made different, and there's different reasons why people struggle with their faith or don't have a faith at all. It could be someone who is a believer but has gone through a hard patch and is just far away from their relationship with Christ, has been impacted by the enemy because of that. It could be someone new to religion as a whole, new to their faith, and just wants somebody to guide them. It could be someone like a devout atheist who's totally against the word, pushes back any time the Bible is mentioned or prayer is mentioned or God is mentioned. Be someone as extreme as that. But be aware of who you're talking to because then that leads to point number three and is create a plan of action specifically around that person. Right? If it's somebody who's just fallen out of their faith, just go sit down and talk with them. Man, what's going on? What, what has led you to this point? You know, is it is struggle with mental health? Is it alcohol abuse? Has something happened with your family? What's going on? And then point to the gospel, point to ways that Christ has impacted you and how he loves you. Help try to get them back on that path, right? Somebody who's new to their faith. Hey, man, come to church with me. Come sit down. Let me show you what this Christ thing's all about. Let me tell you about the overwhelming love that Christ has for me and why it has made me the person who I am today and why I think you should hear about it because I love you and I want this for you. Somebody who pushes back against the gospel, pushes back against the word is back against prayer. Just talk to them. Just love on them and live in a way that God lived without specifically having to reference the Bible at first. Dr. Wardle said something at the leadership retreat, which I wasn't there, but it was shared with me, was spread the gospel in everything you do and at a last resort, use words. If you are living, if you are expressing the gospel through how you live, you're going to be seen as different. And this person, if you're intentional with them and you love them, 
they see you acting this way, they're going to say, man, like, what makes Owen different? Why, why is he acting this way when others aren't? It's going to break this heart of stone that they have, and they're going to get curious. You know, what, what does he have that makes him act this way? You know, Ty is one of the most overjoyed people I've ever met. Yeah, look at that smile. It's beautiful. Um, one of the most overjoyed people I've ever met. I can tell you right now that if you were to ask him what makes him such a happy person, he would tell you it's Christ. I can hopefully say that with 100% certainty. Um, but it, they're going to notice that you're different. And eventually they'll get curious and they'll say, you know, why do you act this way? Why, why are you so kind to me even if I push back against your religion? Man, let me tell you why. It's because God loves you. Because of that, I love you regardless, and I want what's best for you. Right? And that takes me to my next point is be intentional with that plan, whatever it may be. That was three. There's you know infinite possibilities. But be intentional with that plan. The last thing you want is for someone to think that you're using some carbon copy scenario and make them not feel loved, but rather like a number that you're trying to be like, hey guys, guess who I got this week? That's number whatever. You know, like they want to be a statistic and they want to be your friend. Be intentional with them and make them feel like you are really working hard for them. And with the intentionality part comes patience. That's my fifth point. Be patient. It is very rare that a change as significant as finding Christ is instantaneous. Sometimes it is and it's great. Most of the time it's not. Right? Like, finding Christ is a big life change, and it's not as easy for some people to do it right off the bat. Never get frustrated to the point where you think there's no hope. Nobody's too far gone. When Jesus was on the cross, there's the criminal right next to him who was, I don't know, seconds, minutes away from dying, and Jesus sent them, took him right to heaven. No one is too far gone, right? Moses was a murderer. Saul condemned Christians, or Paul, he was Saul at that point, condemned Christians. No one's too far gone. So don't get frustrated and throw them to the curb and say, oh, no shot. Because I don't even I don't know if y'all understand how patient Jesus is with us, right? And if Jesus is so overwhelmingly patient with us, then we have no right to not be patient with someone we're trying to bring into his kingdom. So that's my five-step uh, sort of plan. Step one, arm yourself. Step two, be aware of who you're talking to. Step three, create a plan of action around that specific person. Step four, be intentional with that plan. And step five, be patient. Throughout all of this, stay grounded in Christ. I want to finish with a verse, um, which I think is the next one. You can throw it up there. Yep, cool. So we started in Matthew 7. Um, so we're going to finish in Matthew 7. So I actually read this this morning. I was like, whoa. So I just threw it in like four hours ago. I don't know. Um, very last minute, but I just thought it was great, so I threw it in. So it says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on a rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell 
and great was its fall. Now, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as their scribes. The reason I finish with this is the idea of a house built on a rock, that foundation just plays into what I talked about with Christ. Have your relationship with Christ, that cornerstone part of your heart that you need in order for your life to operate, be founded on rock, make it rock solid. And there'll be times when it's low and don't let that discourage you. Just come back right into it. Work hard when you feel distant. Found that on rock and make that point a cornerstone in your life and all the other things will fall into place. The love of yourself will fall into place. The love of others will fall into place. The ability to bring people into the gospel by living through, by having the gospel live through you and everything that you do will fall into place if the cornerstone of your life is Jesus Christ in your relationship with him. So make that the foundation. Make him the rock that you build your house on. So that is all I got. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. And Mason, I'm going to put your chair back so you have somewhere to sit down. Um, But I'm going to pray us out as the worship team comes up. Um, And the last thing I want to say about all this, hold on. I did not want to knock anything over. Um, Last thing I'm going to say is if there are any questions you had about this tonight, feel free to ask me. I mean, my phone number is put on the board two times a week, every week, um, and it's in the FCA group message somewhere. Feel free to talk to me about it. Come to Bible study. This has all just been one giant ad for the Bible study. Come to Bible study. <laughs> uh, no, but come to Bible study. Or if you're newer to your faith and that makes you uncomfortable, just text me. We'll get lunch. Let's talk about it. Find anybody in one of these 828 shirts. They would love to talk to you about it. If you have questions about what I've said or how you can love yourself, you feel like there's no other way, how you can love your roommate when they frustrate you because they haven't uh, swept the floor in two months, um, just talk to us about it. We'd always be happy to talk with you. So I'm going to pray us out. Worship team, y'all can come up. And thank you all for listening. So please bow your heads. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Um, Thank you for giving me the opportunity to come up here and just Speak with what you put on my heart, Lord. Um, I pray that um, even if all uh, but one were not touched tonight, I pray that you allow my word to really impact that one. I pray that you allow us, Lord, to love ourselves through you, through our relationship with you so that we may love others because we know we cannot treat others with love and respect if we do not first have that of ourselves. Lord, I pray you allow us to make fishers of men, send us out into the world, and that you can allow us to bring more into your kingdom. Um, I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for FCA and Furman as a whole. Um, I pray all of these things in your holy and life-giving name. Amen. Appreciate you. Thank you.